I just think um, we're in a state where we we're taking so many steps back from each other. And if, if you can find a way to take a step towards someone, I think that, I think that's, I think that'll help us. I think that'll drive us towards a better world. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen, an attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Bloom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk. Hey everybody, this is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen, and as always, I'm delighted with today's guest who will introduce herself. Andrea, please go ahead. Yeah, I, I, as I was even thinking about what introducing myself would look like, I think mm-hmm. I was, I was struck by the fact that in America, in, in the US, in, in yeah. American context, we all, we often start, especially in these more like adult contexts with like our professional background or, or that like point in our life where we felt the call or realized what it was that we were going to do with our lives. And Mm -hmm. I, and I think for me, like my story begins like generations ago, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm like very aware of the context in which I was born into. And like, you know, we talk a lot about systems and structures and all of those sort of things, but even in my family context, like Mm -hmm. I really just, I come from a long line of people of faith Mm-hmm. Um, and of people whose faith was very integrated um, into their work and who saw their work as an expression of the love of God to their neighbor. Um, and like you go way back and on both sides, my mom and my dad's side of the family, we we come from German Mennonites and they were, mm-hmm. so they were shopkeepers and they were pacifists um, and they were hotel managers and, and shoe sellers and um, loved and served their neighbors in like these very, we have stories of that that sort of came down. Um, my grandparents on my mom's side were missionaries, Christian missionaries in Thailand. Um, but like what they did, you look back kind of at their legacy in, in Northeast Thailand, and it includes both the, fin- the founding of a seminary, but also mm-hmm. a leprosarium. And so there's just this, and, and my grandfather introduced some new watermelon into the region. And just these things mm-hmm. were like, as I've learned, I'm like, oh, this is like, has been in my DNA. My parents were Christian development practitioners in Cambodia and they worked with people living with AIDS, with orphans and vulnerable children, Mm -hmm. um, with kind of marginalized and uh, and oppressed communities. And so that's just kind of how I grew up and how I grew up understanding both my faith and work. Um, And so when I went to, I went to college in Illinois and then I moved out to DC and I really wanted to um, I think I think maybe I went through phases where I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. And then here I am back um, it working. I've spent most of my adult life working in international development and, and even Christian international development and humanitarian work um, in a range of roles, you know, from fundraising and board support to, to working in the CEO's office, to writing and communications work, program design, 
um, technical support. Uh, and now I, I really focus on external engagement and partnering for impact. Mm. And again, looking at that intersection of how does our work with local faith communities and how does even our faith itself drive more effective development outcomes, you know, aligned with SDGs? And how do we work with a whole range of stakeholders? Um, yeah, a whole range of stakeholders uh, in to bring about the most effective change that we want to see in the world. Yeah, so my current role is I work at World Vision International as a as the lead director of faith and external engagement. Mm. And, and no, and, and thank you for that introduction. I, I absolutely like that. Um, but but for for the listeners, you are at the moment in the U.S., right? So you're not That's in right. Germany, or you're not in Cambodia, or That's in true. Thailand. Um, so you know, when you were four or five years old and playing outside, you knew, you know, I'm going to go this direction. It was not even a discussion about it. It was just that is what we yeah. do. Is that how it happened, or? Yeah, I think so. That is such a good question. I think the principles were ingrained in mm. me and I probably didn't even know it. I went to, um, when I went to college, I did have this sense that like, like it was hard for me to be in, in the U S I was in the U S for college. And it was a, it was a jarring experience, um, just from, from maybe from an economic standpoint, from a worldview standpoint, it was just different. And I think a lot of a lot of people who grow up uh, overseas abroad from their from their home country or passport country experience that. And I think my at that point, my thought was, OK, like I just four years and then out of the country, you know, and here I am, you know, 25 years later and, and still back back here in the U.S. And I think you're you're I, I did have to sort of own that for myself and and I'm still figuring out what I want to do when I grow up you know in some ways I think it's been sort of an iterative process through um opportunities and finding areas where I both feel passionately but also um can can learn new things and uh meet new people and kind of expand my perspective and my skill set and things like that um so probably when I was four or five mm -hmm. I probably wanted to be a doctor. I think I was probably, oh, okay. you know, because yeah. you, you know, like three or four jobs when you're that age. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, so, so what did you finally study? And yeah. tell us also, I, because I, I think you have also worked outside of the U S have you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a, a little bit. Yeah. So I studied uh, political science, international relations in college. Mm -hmm. And that was also this process of basically like looking through course catalogs, changing my major seven times, um, kind of exploring different things and finally finding like, oh, in this major, I want to take every class that I have to take. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, you know, I was in sociology for a little bit and the social you know, there was like a stats class that I was like, oh, you know, so it's, I, it feels kind of a little happenstance in some ways, but the, the way the international development and political science major was structured, it was really like a third economics, a third political science and like a third history and then some mm -hmm. language mixed in. And so I think that helped me choose without having to choose, you know, there's still a lot of variety mm -hmm. and, and diversity in that, um, 
So, and then my work has, I've, I've basically been based in the States actually. Um, I was in right. DC for a while and then Seattle um, and, and spent, uh, did program management work. So spent probably 30 to 40% of my time internationally, mm -hmm. but still based in the US. Okay. Got you. And, and where were you born and raised? In, in around DC yeah. or, or not? No, in, um, in my parents worked in Cambodia and, and also in Malaysia when I was a kid. So I was, okay. I was there. Yeah. Southeast Asia. Where so at, 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 what, at what age then did you go to the States? How old for were college, you? for university. Okay. So alone or with your parents? Yeah, alone. My parents were still, okay. in, were still in Cambodia. Yeah. Okay. And you have brothers and sisters? I have one younger brother. Yeah. Yeah, and okay. he's a few years younger, so he came back to the States after, I think, three years after I did. Wow, okay, so you were, how was that? Was that, was that a big change, suddenly, you know, family far away? Yeah, I think it was a big change. So I, so it was a big change, um, and like I said, kind of jarring culturally, yeah. and I was, I went from, like, the tropics to winter, like, I was in the Chicago area, mm -hmm. so the first winter, you know, there was, it was, like, a little, probably a little bit of, like, a dark night of the soul, like, what have I done? Um, but it was, I think it was ultimately, it was a, it was a good experience. We had been back and forth enough to the mm -hmm. U S that it wasn't like a, like I'd spent years, you know, yeah. here and here there. So it wasn't, it wasn't a totally foreign, um, experience. And I went to an American school. So from a cultural perspective, there was some, some synergies and some, mm -hmm. some disconnect, I think, but I think it was really a growing experience in terms of figuring out my identity a little bit and realizing mm -hmm. that I wasn't this and I wasn't that I was sort of I was sort of this in between and I think a lot of kids who grow up in a third culture you know there's the third culture kid term mm -hmm. often finds like more commonality with other third culture kids even if they even if both the country that they've grown up in and the, their country their passport country are totally different there's just some sense of shared experience um, that we have. And I think that's, I think that is, as I think about my work and, and relationships I have, I think, I think that has been one, it's been a benefit and an opportunity, I think is, is to really like lean in and think about ask, asking good questions, not, not taking as much for granted, um, about what maybe what normal is or, um, yeah, or what, what a baseline is for anything really. I would like to to piggyback on that third culture kid because I well, my my wife is a th uh, third culture kid and and my, you know my my kids yeah uh, in in a sense as well so so I've read uh, about it, um, yeah how is it because you're saying now that you are staying in the states and I see that often with with kids that have. Uh, you know, moves from country to country that when they are an adult, they don't want to move anymore. So that's one thing. How is that with you? And then the second question that I have is around friendships. Is that, um, yeah, are you making easy friends or difficult? And again, I'm asking it because I, I've seen some, you know, third culture kids are hesitant because they are afraid that, you know, they will lose their friend again. So, yeah, no, this <clears throat> these are these are super interesting questions and like I, I feel like you're you're my therapist right now um but I think I think in terms of the stability you do often see third culture kids or yeah like army kids or whatever people who've moved a lot during their childhood really hunker down and like and like brute um maybe they'll you know 
partner married with someone from a small town and they like moved there. And, um, and my experiences, I would say, I would say my work keeps me, um, the, my work and the fact that I travel a good bit for work keeps me from becoming like seriously restless. Um, so I definitely have some of that urge to, to move, to go, to, to be in a new place, to experience new things. Um, but I, I have been a little more rooted and I think it is the work and the getting to experience different cultures, different, uh, just the world, um, in a very tangible way. And so I think these past few, these years during COVID when we haven't been traveling, I mean, I think everyone has sort of, you know, been, been thinking about, you know, who am I, what do I want to be? How do I want to spend my days? What's the, what's the impact I want to have in the world and what's important. And I think, I think not having that outlet has been, has made me a little more restless. Um, so I, I recognize that in myself. And then I think on the friendship side, I think third culture kids, and, and this would certainly be true of me, are really good at making fast friends and like going like this deep so fast, but then there's this part, there's that, there's that like core part that is very hard for us mm -hmm. to let people in. So people would see us as having a lot of friends, would think we're their really good friend and would even maybe be quite open and honest and transparent with, with us, mm -hmm. but we're not necessarily reciprocating. I think that's like well-documented. I think can be really certainly true um, because of that because of that movement and the, and the history of goodbyes. And my, I went, I actually went to a boarding school for high school in Malaysia mm -hmm. and I have really good friends still from there. And we joke about just how um, like every year it felt like the world was ending, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> we would have, we had this thing called the wailing wall mm -hmm. where we would sit around at like the night before graduation and everyone would just like wail. It'd just be like, you know, this, this outlet for our emotional grief of losing half of our friends who yeah. are moving or graduating. So, yeah. No, and it, it is tough. I mean, on the one hand, of course, it's a, it's a blessing that you have so many people around the world as friends, but then, um, you know, I'm, I'm, getting older so we have discussions about you know in, in an ideal situation would like to go to a senior home with your friends because again, you can share your stories and yeah. and the, the it would be awful that you, when you're getting older and you cannot tell your story because people don't understand it mm -hmm. but if your friends are around the world that makes it challenging of course so that's it's you know it's all a luxury problem on the one hand but um you know um yeah, it's different from, from yeah. folks who have grown up around the world, uh, definitely. Hey, um, I would like to make a jump, and that's to your work now at, in in uh, yeah. at World Vision in your the role of you know external relations, right? It's it's uh -huh. uh, what you do. So, right. what is the biggest um, challenge at the moment for you within that job? I would say, so my particular work is really focused on kind of the role of faith in our, in our, in our work and how we build both faith partnerships, but also articulate the value of faith in, in humanitarian development work. And I would say the biggest challenge right now is that in the past five to 10 years, 
um, we have gone from a place where like all the faith-based organizations were like shouting into the, into the, into the night, faith matters, faith matters, faith matters, you know, and now everybody thinks faith matters. Um, maybe not everybody, the majority of the world and the, and the sector whether they like it or not, think that faith is an important component and that engaging with faith actors is important. And as a result, there has been this proliferation of faith networks, of faith groups, of faith task force, of faith, you know, all of these things. And it's a it's a blessing and it's really um I think a reflection of really great work of people who have come before us in terms of articulating that story and how important it is and driving towards more effective and sustainable partnerships. But it's also a challenge in that there's not enough hours in the day to support all of these kind of siloed inter interventions, groups, task force um, in a meaningful way. And there, there, many of them are trying to get their feet off the ground and it's trying to determine strategically, like where do we spend our time? How do we ensure that we're having consistency of messaging across these, across these platforms, but also putting our time in the places where it's going to have the greatest impact for children and communities um, and for the planet and for, you know, all the things that we know are essential in our work together. So I would think, I would say that's our biggest challenge or my biggest challenge. Mm. I mean, I find it interesting that you're mentioning that it's kind of faith is back because, you know, um, yeah, you you know that, that this particular podcast is a spin-off of my hundred mile walk. Mm. And if I'm, you know, uh very often I'm accompanied by what I call co co-walkers. And you know, they walk with me for, for a mile, uh, or or sometimes 10 miles. And very often we quickly start talking about religion and spirituality, and then the younger generation. Mm. And then some of my co-workers are saying, well, if they're my age, like, oh, you know, the young people are different. Uh, they don't go to church anymore. They might be spiritual, but they're not religious. Or others say, you know, they are religious, but, you know, church is, you know, th that's not connecting with them. Anymore. Anyway, there are a lot of different uh, opinions uh, around it. Um, and when I talk with younger people, it seems that the majority is disappointed in the church as such. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean they don't feel they don't consider themselves religious or, or spiritual. So, yeah, my, my question to you is, what do you see happening among youth and faith, spirituality in your community? And especially, I make my question to you a little bit more difficult than I asked all the others before this, but how does that relate to what you just said to me in terms of, you know, faith is back? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, I think that's a really great question. And I think... I mean, I can speak a little bit about my community, but I can also speak a little bit about like around the world, mm -hmm. because I do often think what we're experiencing in Europe and North America isn't yeah. necessarily the same as what's happening in the rest sure. of the world. Um, and even here, I see a lot of variety. So I, my, just to play, position myself, we yeah. are family moved last summer to Chattanooga, Tennessee. So, but we're a Bible Belt in the, in the U.S., you know, mm -hmm. so. Um, and so in terms of what, you know, what that, what that looks like or means. Um, I think you, you definitely see a lot more youth in churches. Um, what, and then the, the youth in, in the community that I know are very interested, they tend to be very interested in justice. Um, and mm -hmm. they often find their way from like action to 
sort of spirituality to which can sort of morph into religion, right? So depending kind of on where, um, and I think it really, I just think it, I just think it's in in the U.S. and in Europe, there's there's a totally different and more complex, not maybe not more complex, just a different scenario than what we see and like what I see in our most of the context where World Vision works uh, programmatically. Um, and we, World Vision actually recently did this study with Barna, which is a Christian polling group that was a global study that looked at youth around the world. Um, and in, I want to say, I want to say like 20 countries um, and uh, their perspectives on Jesus, on the Bible and on justice. And I think what you'll see is that the, and it's looking at teenagers and they're incredibly globally, there's, there's a lot of similarity in terms of the orientation towards justice and activism and seeing that rooted in some sort of spirituality or, or faith. Um, and then there, you start to get a more variety when you start to look at perspectives on the Bible um, or honestly, people, there's, there's pretty positive reflections of Jesus also. Um, but, but to your point, a lot less, um, a lot of concerns about the, tr the church or the institution. And so I think it's just something for those of us who identify as Christians. I mean, I think it's something that we're all wrestling with, uh, even as adults, like what is the church and what, um, how do we ensure that it is living up to, you know, Jesus, like what Jesus is calling us to in the world. Um, yeah, so I, I don't, I don't know if that is, it's not necessarily a succinct or a clear answer, because I think it's so different in different contexts. In the beginning of a conversation, you, you walked us or you talked us through um you know who you are going back several generations yeah. you know and and that's uh faith is important yeah. and you know it has been always been in the family um you were just describing that the younger generation seems to be changing although it depends yeah. on the context now if your children are going through something similar or will be going through something similar um it could happen that they will break, you know, the tradition, quote unquote. How do, how do you look at that? How do you feel? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a really, I think that's a really hard question. Um, and something that I know a lot of my peers and friends are, are wrestling with. And, and I suppose, I suppose we, we are as well. And I think what, I mean, part of my hope, and I think what the hope is for the church in particular, mm -hmm. is that we really lean into that we that we really understand like Jesus's work in the world and God's work in the world, and that it is about stewarding the environment. It is about addressing injustice. It is about you know walking humbly, doing justice. Um, and I, and I hope that as, whether it's in a, in the family or in a local faith 
community or increasingly, hopefully, in, in the global expression of the church that our children can see that and they can see um, reflections of who God is in the world in a way um, through through the church. Um, but I also believe in the power of, of God and his work in their life. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think yeah, I think it's a journey that we're, that we're all walking. Like I, I, my kids are still quite little. Um, Mm -hmm. and I just, I find their insights about the world and about faith, like so surprising. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, they're three, they're three, six and nine. And just some of the things they say, I'm like, Whoa, the insight and the way they make connections between things and the way, you know, a story they hear, um, kind of, gets their mind working is really incredible. So I guess I'm, I'm just kind of in a trust the process sort of way, uh, sort of, sort of. No, I, I, I understand. I, I, uh, I hear you. I mean, um, I would like to to mention two things. I mean, one is, and I often uh, actually quote him kind of, I had uh, a Dutch uh, scientist, uh, Case Klomp is one of my guests who talked about, um, you know, the need for revisiting uh, our economics. And um, anyway, it's a very interesting conversation that I had with him. But one of the things that he mentioned about the youth is that uh, the centennials are driven by purpose. Mm-hmm. So so uh, in, in contrast to millennials who are driven by meaning, and then, you know, they can find each other in the action. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was interesting is, is um you know you I, I do think also when I spoke with younger generation, you know, they make that connection between much faster between humanity and the planet. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of maybe concerning that especially you know people working for faith-based organizations where it should come as a kind of natural connection, yeah. uh, that we often forget about this and that's you know contributed also to the world that we have created, I think, for ourselves. At least one of the reasons. I'm over oversimplifying. I know. Um, anyway, um, Andrea, I, I um, you know, there are a lot of things that that our organizations are working on. Um, what worries you the most at the moment? I think. I think it, it might be. I mean, I know I should say climate here because I'm on your podcast, but that does worry me, but I think what in a more, (laughs) in a closer way, I I think one of the things that worries me a a lot is that we focus on what divides versus what unites. And I think as a result, we see diversity of, of thought at least, um, or, and maybe just diversity in general as a threat, um, rather than a, than something to be celebrated. Um, or a future of humanity, you know, that, that, or an organization, an institution, a country, um, because I think it's in that it's, it's finding those places of unity in diversity, uh, where we can work together towards a shared goal, even if we, even if we're a little confused about a lot of other things and whether we agree or not, that that I think the magic happens and the innovation happens and the new ideas uh, come out. And I think so often we're, right now we're afraid 
of that. Um, and we draw, we draw really hard lines. Um, and, um, and so don't, we can't, we can't hear each other anymore. We're not listening. Uh, and so I think that leads to a lot of, I mean, that, that undercurds our inability to pass policies that would address some of the climate issues, for example, or um, be more open to refugees in our communities or um, actually consider issues of gender inequality or whatever, whatever kind of the thing is. Um, yeah. Oh, and and I, it's something that I would like to come back to uh, later in the conversation as well, which you mentioned, because I think it has to do with something that the inner development goals try to address. Mm -hmm. um, where do you still see hope? Yeah, I mean, I think I see hope in so much of the work that I get to do, because it really is about bringing kind of unlikely partners together from across different faith traditions, like with multilateral bureaucratic types within the UN, with technical practitioners on gender, on sexual and reproductive health and rights, on, you know, refugee and, and immigrant issues, you know, into a, into a shared space to, to talk about um, to talk about solutions, to talk about the problems, to frame the problems, and and to actually take action to address those things. Um, so I think I think there's so much hope, um, and there there are spaces where this is happening, and it's maybe it's just the louder spaces or the social media spaces. Those are those tend to sort of drown out these more face to face organic opportunities. Um, so we just need more. We just need more of that. Yeah. No, and, and where I think I, I see hope with you is, you know, the work that both of us are, are doing around uh, the UN on, on sustainable development goals, for example. And so that's that's something that I try to lift up as well during this uh, podcast. Um, if I ask you to... Um, you know, to talk to the listeners about the SDGs. Uh, what what do you want them to know about the Sustainable Development Goals? Yeah, I a few years ago I did my executive MBA at Seattle U, which I know you have you have connections there as well. Um, and when, as you know, in the U.S., the Sustainable Development Goals, it's people are less conversant with the Sustainable Development Goals. They're just not as like in our cultural. I mean, they probably for you in, in New York and around the UN, of course they are, but um, in general and in like business leaders and things, it's a few, you know, here and there will part of them. And so when I, when I would describe the SDGs to my executive MBA cohort, um, I, I, I position them and I think, I think this is true. I think this is what they are as a promise uh, that we made, we collectively made to, to our children. Uh, and their promises about the planet, their promises about equality, their promises about education um, and opportunity, and like really about about flourishing uh, and about flourishing for generations to come. And I think I think we are in a position where we will 
break those promises uh, if we don't as a global community, as governments, as corporate leaders, as NGO leaders, as civil society, as parents, as, as faith leaders really come together to double down and look really hard at these goals and where we're failing and why we're failing and what we need to do to get back on track. Um, even if the time frame is longer, like we just need to, we really need to double down to, in order to make our promises, to keep our promises to our kids. You know, a, a growing group of people uh, around the world is saying that, you know, one of the reasons that we are not making the progress that we need to make has to do with that we did not pay proper attention to the ability, skills, mm -hmm. and knowledge that you need as an individual and as a as a community or as an organization. And so they did a survey and they talked among the, each other and they came up with the inner development goals. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts about the inner development goals? Yeah, so I was, I mean, I... No, I had heard about the inner development goals and then I've, I heard more about them on your podcast. So I, so I looked, you know, I've spent a little time thinking about them in the past couple of weeks. And I think, I mean, I really do think they're fascinating. And I think it's a really, um, you know, kind of the frame from like being out, out to acting, you know, and getting through that collective component of it. I think, I mean, I think that's incredibly use. It's a useful framework, you know, as frameworks are. I think my my question, just not knowing that much about the about how it works, and so we have the SDGs here, and we have the inner development goals here, and yet I think where the majority of the work happens is, as you say, like at that organizational level. You know, even if a government makes laws, it's like how does that trickle down into the bureaucracy and how they how they live and how they how they kind of make things happen, um, and. So that's I'm I'm curious if the if the inner development goals has a component that's looking kind of at organizational capacity building. You know, we would talk about individual competencies and organizational capabilities, maybe. And and so all of these goals are also like very hard to cultivate unless you're in a community or an environment that's also taking the time and the space to cultivate that. So I would love to, I, I want to learn more about how organizations and institutions are thinking about this. No, and, and you know, there is now a danger that I'm going to sit on the chair of the guest. So, um, but I, I, I think that, um, you know, a, a lot of, um, uh, especially NGOs in, in the US and, and in Europe are thinking about the, the change, the, the role that needs to change uh, from from them. And that, and that is due to um, so many things, right? I mean, basically the poly crisis is, is responsible for that uh, on the one hand, um, from localization to climate change, et cetera. I mean, we need to work differently. Um, and um, one of the, the the things that came is coming out of of discussions among these uh, NGOs is that um, yeah they need to work harder on uh, develop working on thought leadership and stuff and and uh, you know their that inner development goal framework seems to be a perfect uh, fit mm. 
you know, I, and, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about it. And that is, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of, of, of Ken Wilber, uh, who's, who's uh, responsible for the integral theory. And, and one of the things that he says, and he said many, many things, but one of the things that he says that, you know, any problem or issue has at least four perspectives. You know, I, we, it, and it. So I, I think the sustainable development goals are trying to change a system and, and process, the it and its perspective, but you can't really work on it with without at least realizing that there is also an I and a we perspective mm -hmm. uh, related to that. So even if your focus is only on the system change, you can't do that without, you know, we can't do our work without bringing ourselves. And I, I think... Mm -hmm. You know, faith-based organizations have something to offer there. And but what you also see is that the younger generation is demanding to, if they go work for an organization, that they can bring their whole self. Mm. Um, that's that's I think the, the difference about what I'm have been seeing now after you know doing done this podcast now for you know, I don't know, 112 episodes, some 13 episodes, um talking with you know. A wide scale of um yeah of, of people young and old um east and west etc so um and and listeners if you don't agree with me let me know and, and we will have a further conversation i i'm not saying that what i say is right so uh, absolutely not it's one of the perspectives that's out there um so so um yeah so you know the Andrea also think that the framework maybe is a possibility to to connect you know faith-based organizations with the more secular one it provides again oh. an extra framework it's not the solution absolutely not but it's not the solution you know there are many things that need to happen that's what that's what I think um hey what I do try to do with this podcast is to connect um you know my audience with the, with the guest and my guests with each other so I have to, a question from you from the previous guest. Um, how we can connect people who uh, hold this um, power within themselves or like people who bring peace to this world? How we can make sure that all these people are somehow connected and they are united in in what they do to maximize the potential of having more peace in the world? So that is, you know, a softball question, you know. <laughs> How do we, it, it feels a little bit like a world peace problem. I mean, a world peace question. And I think I, one of the things that this makes me think of kind of looping back a little bit to this, to this conversation about how particularly like in media and social media, there's this divisiveness. Like, I mean, we, we've probably all seen the social network and we know about how about how algorithms like thrive on argument and um, division. Um, and I think what this is, what, what this question makes me think of is just how do we create a world where we are telling these stories of these peacemakers? 
um, in a much in much bigger platforms where they these kinds of stories start to these stories of harmony, these stories of peace, these stories of unity in diversity start to kind of crowd out the noise um, the and the division uh, and start to create models and examples for all of us about how to more effectively move forward and find an unlikely friend and start to talk about some of these questions that we have or, um, or even better, start to work together towards some sort of change we jointly want to see in our community um, or in our world. And I think that communicate that just communicating more effectively about it can bring unity and hopefully learning and, and all those sorts of things as well. Your question for the next guest. Yeah, so so my question is actually sort of related to this question. Is is I I would just I want to know, like, what is and it's more action oriented. I don't know. I don't know if it doesn't if this doesn't actually work. Let me know. Um, but I, what I'd like to know is what's one issue where you feel like fully decided, um, and you and you're you don't really listen to other perspectives and what can you do to sort of open open your mind or open a conversation or open a relationship uh, that would allow you to sort of re-interrogate a particular view? How, how do you do that? Well, I think I, I put myself accidentally in a lot of hard and difficult and awkward situations. I think I think some of it is in the work that I do, and I've I've seen it modeled really well in terms of bringing um, bringing diverse stakeholders into a conversation towards a shared goal, and and like as you're doing that, these these other things come come out on the side, but you already have a sense of a of a a bond and a meaningful relationship, and so you can you can have these kinds of conversations. I mean, these kinds of things happen even in my own organization, you know, a Christian organization about, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian organization? So these are, I mean, these these conversations are everywhere if we allow them to happen. And mm -hmm. I think too often we we shy away instead of instead of walking in and with a listening and learning posture. Hey, um, music is actually very important to me, so I always ask a question about music as well. It's considered the most difficult question that I'm asking by many. Oh. Um, but uh, if I ask you to come up with a piece of music or a song uh, that best embodies what you are about for a big part, um, which song or piece of music would that be and why? Yeah, so this is a really hard question. And it's a hard question for a lot of reasons because like one song and like everyone wants to be cool. So they want to make sure they're like, you, they're not saying like a band that nobody's heard of, but then also you don't want to say like this is the obvious song and everybody and, you know, and then you start to read the lyrics and you're like, oh, that verse doesn't align, you know, it starts to get quite complicated. Um, so for me, I have two and they're more, more than like about what I'm about. They're more a reflection kind of of my current inner worlds 
splash aspiration. And one, the one that people have heard of is, is the YouTube beautiful day. Um, I think because it's all about the paradoxes and complexity um, and the beauty in the world and the fact that the world is falling apart and the beauty in me and the fact that I'm falling apart and failing and, and you. And, um, and so I think, I think, you know, that's, that was one. And then a second is there's, there's this uh, song based on Psalm 46 that was done by Bifrost Arts. And it, it goes through this passage, the Psalm, which talks about, again, it's very similar, like the world is falling apart. And yet I feel the sense of peace because I know that God is at work in the world and I know that he's going to be working. Um, and it ends, the song ends in this like beautiful meditative, like be still and know. And it just, that I am God and it, and it just, it, it's a posture that I don't naturally have. I am not a still person. Um, and yet I think, you know, I, maybe this also, this also connects a little to the inner development goals, but this idea of like being still and listening and learning and trusting and knowing that like, we can't do it all as individuals, even you and I can't, um, no matter how busy we get, but there is a sense of like grounding and stillness that's necessary. Like we act and in, in, in the world out of that rest. Um, as opposed to like scrambling for that rest. Um, so those are my those are my two songs, YouTube Beautiful Day and Psalm 46. Is that the the, the second Psalm 46? Is that how I can is is the artist I'll, or the I'll send you the link. Okay. Yeah. Great. Awesome. And to remind the listeners and for you if you don't know, but we made a Spotify playlist called um, hashtag walk talk listen. And there you can find all the songs that have been selected by my guests. Um, hey, I, I think still at the moment, Steve Hartman of CBS uh, in the US is examining how one simple act of kindness uh, you know, can create a rippling effect. I have two questions around this. Uh, one is, what do you think about that uh, concept? And, and second, if I ask you to come up right now uh, to do one simple act of kindness this week, uh, what would you do? Good question. Good questions. I do think it's true. And I think the science bears out. Like if I do something nice to you, you are like, I, I don't know, so many times more likely to go and, and do something nice to the next mm. person you come in contact with and vice versa. So I think it's, I think it's great. I think it, I think this also speaks to, you know, the whole idea of building unity uh, versus division, like what is one thing that we can do to to make people around us, whether they agree with us on X, Y, or Z or not, know that we, we care about them. Um, in terms of the one action, I think, I think what I can do even today is there... I have, I have some colleagues who made like very clever and insightful remarks in, in, in the call I was in this morning. And I was thinking, oh, I should let them know that that really impacted me and others, I think, and mm. haven't yet because, mm. you know, you move, go on to the next meeting and you don't make the effort to do that. And so I'm going to go to those the two colleagues and, and just be very specific mm. um, about 
some of the positive impact that they've had on my day and, and others day and the work that we're doing together. Great. I like that. Um, yeah. I, and I, I, I'm, I'm absolutely sure they will really appreciate it. Um, Hey, what, you know, what makes you getting out of bed in the morning outside of the, you know, small kids that you and your husband have so yeah yeah i i always envy people who have like a nice single focus answer um mm -hmm. to that question in my experience i kind of i see everything connected so i start mm -hmm. to say this one thing and then i and then i say this other thing and another thing but i think a few things that are really if i can say a few things um, that are really driving me right now. One is the situation of children on the move and refugees more broadly. Um, I think this it's an unprecedented situation. I used to, I know Church World Service does great work with refugees. I used to work with World Relief, which did refugee resettlement work here in the US. And I just, I, I just find that issue and situation and like, it's so complex and the legal things like that's something um, the issue of the growing issue of hunger, which is very connected to the climate crisis um, and conflict and um, and just the cost and the, the lack of affordability and accessibility of food for so many. And in particular, the impact that has on children um, that in certain realms of development like cannot be undone. Um, and um, then I think about gender gender inequality and some, you know, these issues are also are, are so connected, but I mean, I think the situation in Afghanistan as, as perhaps the most acute example on the world stage right now, but it is, it is real and true for girls around the world not having the same access to education, um, experiencing violence and abuse and, and so many things. Um, so I guess those, those, three issues get me get me up and get me energized for the work that I do and to build uh partnerships and collaboration recognizing that these are huge complex issues with deep roots um in a lot of in a lot of contexts and a lot of systems um and so these are lifelong issues for so many people Any message, invitation, or question for the listeners? I think maybe maybe just kind of going back to the question that I had for the next guest is just like, as we think about the world and someone in the world who we find to be on the opposite, like even hone in on a person um, who you feel like is on the opposite end of all the of all the things, <laughs> whatever all the things are, or the mm. most important issue for you, whatever that is, like, are, are there ways that you can take a step toward them? Even if it's a, even if it's not talking about the issues, but it's that random act of kindness, you know, if it's your neighbor, pick up their newspaper for them or something. I just, I just think um, we're in a state where we we're taking so many steps back from each other. And if, if you can find a way to take a step towards someone, 
I think that, I think that's, I think that'll help us. I think that'll drive us towards a better world. No, thank you for, for listening. That really resonates with me. I mean, one of the things that I hope, that, um, you know, I'm able to contribute to with this uh, particular podcast is that, you know, to show that everybody, everybody everyone's perspective is true, mm. albeit partial. So, you know, nobody can be wrong 100% of the time. So it gives you an, an opportunity to, you know, to start a discussion and a discussion, a conversation is part of a dialogue and that can lead to many more things. So I totally um, relate with what you are requesting. Um, one, a couple of quick, quick uh, replies to what I heard you say. Um, and because I, I think it should be my task also to connect my guests in a better way. Um, you talked about Malaysia, you know, where you went to school. I interviewed Amil more than a year ago, I think, uh, uh, the daughter of the prime minister, mm -hmm. Ma Marina Mahathir, who at that time had just written uh, a book about a, a, a father. And I, I think that's an, an in, well, for, you know, for everybody, but especially for you, because mm -hmm. you, you know Malaysia well, might be interesting to you to listen to that. Um, and then you were talking about gender-based violence. Um, yeah, my previous guest is uh, was uh, Mariam uh, Turashan of uh, an organization called Save You, and she developed a, an app, um, you know, to help uh, people, well, women, um, you know, with those rising numbers around femicide, etc. So, and it's really doing well. Um, oh. It's it's now available, I think, in three or four countries. She's working on the US, actually. It will be available. Oh. The app will also be available here. A very interesting uh, young mother um, doing amazing uh, work. So definitely, those are the shout outs for me today. Um, yeah, any any question that I should have asked you that I didn't? I don't think so. This was quite a quite an exciting and diverse list of questions, <laughs> and yet, so I mean, I think there's just so much connection uh, between SDGs and the inner development goals and the what's worrying me in my life, and um, you know, like I just, yeah, it's a, it's been a fun and enjoyable conversation, and I hope I hope sometime you invite a guest to be the host on your show and they get to pose some of these questions to you because I think, I think it would be worth listening to. Uh, I, I don't know if that would be as interesting, uh, but no, th th thanks a lot. Rhea. I, I uh, really enjoyed today. And um, yeah, so it was, I mean, we worked together on a couple of things, but it was uh, really a lot of fun to, to listen to you, uh, you know, through this medium as well. So thanks a lot. Good luck with everything you do. And um, yeah, see you soon. Thank you. Yeah. Talk to you soon. for listening to walk, talk, listen.
please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.